Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of the Children's Book Podcast can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro FM, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter WINNER. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. can't afford to fly places. That's not a thing you can do when you have a nine-year-old and a four-year-old. That's not a thing. Oh my gosh, you have babies. babies. I have a, I have one and she's a seven-year-old. Oh, yeah. And she's a little is it second grade? spitfire. She sure oh, is. Oh, it's a yes. great grade. Second grade. Of, she's yeah, amazing. they're like writing sentences and making up stories, and uh, right groups start happening in second grade. It's super fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know how girls can be. They're starting to get that way. <laughs> I have a four-year-old who's starting to get that way. I totally know how girls can be. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, well, good that she has a great friend group. Good that she has a, a lot of buddies at school. Because, uh, you know, that's that really rounds out the experience. I feel like great teachers and then great friend groups are just really what make the whole day fly. Yes, it's true. She does have some qualities that are that I find I recall having when I was oh, a kid. Oh, wonderful. Like being an extroverted introvert. Okay. And, you know, uh, like being really creative inside and not really having a lot of people that connect or understand it and so they don't know how to to act <laughs> or how to treat it you know they just go oh she's different <laughs> it's hard to put into words when you experience that rare and exceptional clarity that a project was obviously meant for you this is the children's book podcast episode number 541 i'm your host matthew winner Today I'm speaking to picture book illustrator Tanya Angel about Rise, from caged bird to poet of the people, Maya Angelou, written by Bethany Hegedus. When creating the art for Rise, 
Tanya talks about allowing her stream of consciousness to guide her. The result is a series of paintings rich in imagery and an inner strength that undeniably links the artist to her subject. Tanya speaks on how illustrating Maya Angelou's life was like telling the story of one of her ancestors, and how this book project shed light on how she and Angelou's life somewhat mirrored one another. Like in a beautifully crafted poem, there's a lot to take in here in this conversation. Thank you for sitting down with Tanya and with me. Please welcome my guest, Tanya Angel, illustrator of Rise. From caged bird to poet of the people, Maya Angelou. Well, my name is Tanya Angel. Foster is my full name. I, I saw I, I sign all of my illustrations and my paintings with just Tanya Angel, which is like my first and middle name. And um, I started doing that a, a few years ago, uh, right around the time that I was about to get married. I decided that I would just keep things simple and just use my first and middle name with everything that I've been doing and will be doing. Um, I'm from Texas, born and raised in Texas. Um, Grew up in Houston. Um, I'm the middle kid, sister and brother. Brother is my same age. We're like 11 months apart. Um, Sister's four years younger. Um, I'm the only artist in my entire family. (laughs) Um, Mom's a craft maker and she's always had like a, uh, an eye for story. You know, she's been a great storyteller. Mm. That side of the family is like the creme de la creme of storytellers Mm. from a background of great storytellers. And my dad is a, is an engineer, a mechanical engineer. Um, what else? I, I started painting. I started drawing when I was my daughter's age, actually, like around maybe even younger. But I but of note when I was about seven um, and, uh, you know, I've been painting now for about 25 years. I classified myself as a fine artist almost that entire time. And since 2008, I've been going this sort of new path, this sort of uh delving into the world of illustration and following my dream of always wanting to be a children's book illustrator. I always wanted to. The dream. I I love that. Ever since I was a kid and I picked up my first children's book at the library, I said, Oh, I love this. You know, I, I'm not great at storytelling like my, my mom and my, that side of my family. But, um, I found that I could, I had a knack for creating images and just conjuring these things up. And, and I was able to speak my mind with images more so than with my words. Well, I think and the I images just... that you create, at least what we've seen already um, in your debut, are, are exceptionally beautiful and have a story to tell in the images. But I also, before we go too deep, I wanted to pause and just say, well, first I wanted to say welcome. <laughs> welcome <laughs> to the podcast. But also, Tanya, <laughs> I... I can't help but ponder as a parent myself about what it must feel like to be making art and to have a daughter at that sort of formative age that you were when you first started exploring art. Are you 
are you at all watching for any uh, nods to interest and, and, and curious about how they might uh, pay out in the future? I know that I we play this yes. sort of game with <laughs> who are who are our kids and what will they end up being? And, and my son in particular has continued to surprise us. Uh, but I wonder about you and your daughter. Well, it's very interesting that you should ask because um, um, one of the reasons well, this is a long story, but I'm going to try to make it as short as possible. <laughs> Ooh, when I was my daughter's age, it frightens me to death. But when I was her age, I had a near death experience. And I um, was rehabilitating for about six months. Um, and during that time, I, my dad would bring, I literally couldn't get out of bed. And my dad had seen before then that I was really great at drawing things like Bugs Bunny. And um, I'm about at the same level of drawing. Maybe my daughter's better than I was at seven. Um, she's really great. Like she, oh, wow. like everything she draws is phenomenal. Since she's been three, she's been able to, uh, clearly show images that she's, you know, in stories that she's trying to tell and, and relay her message. But when I was seven, <clears throat> there was this horrible accident and my dad would bring me these materials and um, I just, my drawing skills kept getting better and better and he would bring me, you know, he'd have to step up the materials he would bring me. <laughs> and for the six months that I was rehabilitating, by the time that I, uh, was fully rehabilitated. I was like this, I could paint with watercolors and pastels and I got to explore all these different mediums that I maybe wouldn't have if I were not in this bed and stuck. <laughs> um, but long story short, I mean, ever since then, you know, uh, uh, you know, have an experience where you are near death you find that there's less and less fear of approaching something and uh, fulfilling, like having a dream and wanting to fulfill them. You're, you're like, Psh, I've almost died. This is nothing. <laughs> so when it came time to me for me to explore that dream further, it was like, you know, I, I had no fear. And I don't know. I, I like to think about the fact that I had this near-death experience when I think of, uh, you know, how I've approached my career, sure. um, you know, like, a, you know, there's, there's, if there's nothing to worry about, you know, I'm already in God's hands. I'm not a huge religious person, but I felt like I was given a new lease on life. So I'm going to make it good, you know, and I'm going to do what I've been put here to do. And I felt like that was creating art. So when I look at my daughter, oh, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the fact that you have stayed tapped into that since mm -hmm. childhood is what an amazing driving force. Yeah. That's yeah, amazing. It's profound. Thank you. I mean, there were many years in which I didn't have a label or a name to it, but mm. it's always been underneath the surface. Like, don't be afraid. There's nothing to fear at this point. <laughs> What's the worst that can happen? You know, I think the worst that could happen has already occurred. So, uh, mm. you know, so I just keep driving forward. And, um, you know, even rejections, I'm, I'm an ultra sensitive person, but even rejections are like, psh, it's no big deal. It's just part of it. Um, so anyway, since I've been seven, I've been drawing and I've been exploring these different avenues of 
of, of drawing my, I, I, I've, I've, uh, the, the most exciting thing that I can do is to allow my stream of consciousness to guide me, which is like, like the most fun that I can have with, with my art, you know, <laughs> um, not planning, Surprisingly, um, some of the most successful illustrations that I've done and paintings that I've done have been, I mean, fine art for me is total stream of consciousness, but illustration, you do have to plan, but I try to allow, you know, uh, things to just sort of occur naturally without trying to plan too much ahead. Does that make any sense? You know, uh, I, I'm like, total. I'm not even going to lie. Mm-hmm. I am outside of myself experiencing this conversation because of just the, the, the way you approach art and have just everything being woven together, the, the not fearing the mm-hmm. tapping into stream of consciousness, then me considering this picture book that we're talking about today, rise mm-hmm. from caged bird, the poet of the people, Maya Angelou, and knowing all that I've taken in, in this art, having mm-hmm. never met you and, and never, never considered in this way, the, the completely unique and beautifully informed history that has led you to illustrate this way. Yes. It's just awesome. Tonya. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. It's You're, fulfilling hmm. too. I, I, I really enjoy it. Okay. So can we dig into this book? Would you mind if we dig into this book? Sure. I'd love to. This, this is going to be an adventure. I don't even, I, I, I can't even wait. Okay. So <laughs> um, Bethany Haggadis mm-hmm. wrote this picture book about the life of Maya Angelou. It is written in poem form published by Leon Lowe. And at some point, this project, I imagine, at some point, this project um, crossed your desk, whether it was that that um, they the publisher had been aware of your work um, or or you had submitted stuff to Liam Lowe. I would love to know how, what was your journey to being connected with, with this picture book? Well, I have to say, I have an agent who contacted me one day out of the blue and said, oh my gosh, you have to, you know, I hope you're sitting down. And she said, guess who they want you to illustrate. And I was like, off the top of my head, the first thing I said was Maya Angelou. I kid you not. Stop it. <laughs> I said, is it Maya Angelou? And she nearly dropped the phone and she's like, oh, this obviously is meant for you. She didn't tell me that I was in the running with some other artists and that we were each submitting some work to see which one of us might be selected. I didn't know that that was what was happening. I just thought, okay, they want, she told me they want to see how you would depict this particular scene, which was the most difficult scene in the entire book. The scene of young Maya in this purple room, this like purple hued dark space it's her bedroom and she's sitting on the bed and the, the, the curtains are casting uh, what almost looks like jail bars or cage bars across her and the bed she's sitting on. And she's all nearly in fetal position sitting up on this bed. And you can see in the, in the periphery, this shadow of a person 
Um, yes. Very difficult scene to portray. It's the scene, the most difficult one of the book. And, and Tanya, did you have the text at that point? I, I had um, the text. I had the text to four pages and they wanted me to illustrate, you know, they wanted to see how I would depict Maya in these settings. And before you go further into this description, mm-hmm. would you mind if I read the text? Sure, please do. I have it in front of me and it is, yes, it is an incredibly powerful scene. Mm-hmm. And to know that this is what led you in, mm-hmm. it says, one day Maya left alone with Mr. Freeman is anything but free. Mm-hmm. After a visit to the hospital, Maya calls out Mr. Freeman's name as the one who hurt her. Mr. Freeman spends only one night in jail. Later, he's found crumpled behind the slaughterhouse. Maya falls silent, scared. Her voice struck him dead. Mm. Powerful words, right? Beautifully written. Powerful Mm -hmm. moment in a picture book. You have, and this is for children. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we we our 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 role always as adults is to protect children, and we have this yes. informative scene uh, in 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 Maya Angelou's life, one that that went on to 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 really be a a, a point that she draws from in her writing. This is your audition piece. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Well, you know, they wanted to see how it's very delicate. You know, it's a very delicate scene. So my first um, approach to it just really struck them all. And they were really excited about how I was able to portray that, you know, imagery in, in such a delicate way. And, I, I I suppose that you know I won out. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know who else was submitting images for it, but I won. <laughs> they really liked what I came up with, and it was my book from that moment on. Um, and it's an incredibly long book. It's a very big book, you know. Um, also, you know, the, the length of the book is also challenging, but you know, there's no way to tell such an epic story, you know. In, in a, I think in a way that would be more brief, I think that it deserved yeah. all the pages, maybe more. I think because of the scope of how, how sometimes when we read picture book biographies, we sort of, it feels like the author is sort of playing around with, here are some of the things, almost like with your, with your mm-hmm. daughter, here are some things we could notice about this individual when they were a child that, 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 are, are sort of amplified in quality as an adult. But in this case, you actually have, you have from her memoir, the, these, these detailed moments that, that can't be left out of her story. Right. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm grateful that the format this took, and I think it serves my Angelou's writings really well is to take the format of poetry um, because that also like poetry leaves all of that white space deliberately on the page, yeah. right? It's the way that the, the words have relationship to the page. Uh, in this way, the poems also leave space for you, Tanya, for your art and your art, much like how poetry uh, can be full of such imagery and metaphor. Your art itself is, is poetic. I don't know how else to say it. You have worked in so many uh, beautiful moments of imagery into 
your art page after page. Thank you. Um, and, you know, the the publishers were fantastic in aiding in some of, you know, there were many, 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 many sketches that we worked on. It probably took longer to come up with the sketches and solidify the direction, you know, because we had to make sure to keep it flowing like a song, you know, like cause poetry is music. It had to be like movement and, you know, along with her timeline, you know, also sort of moving along with the rhythm of the, the poetry. And um, I think we, you know, Without their help, I may not have arrived to at the finish line. You know, um, they came up with some of the ideas. You know, I, I would I would create an image, a sketch, and they would push it even further and say, "Well, why don't we create those scales of justice?" You know, um, across yes. the shoulders of Mama Henderson and and then I would I would say, "Oh yeah, okay," and then I would make it look like. There was a, it was even more of a heavy weight that she was lifting on those shoulders. And then uh, bring Maya down, you know, to the bottom and these, these girls up to the top. I don't know if you're on that page for you have it right now. I'm flipping. You can, I'm sure you can hear me. I think about not just that, but, but prior to that meeting Mama Henderson and that she is, she, it, well, the text reads, uh, Mama Henderson, as tall as a sycamore, as dignified as a queen, you have her her from waist down being a tree. And that also speaks to the fortitude, the, the strength of the unmoving quality of this woman. I thought there were moments like that throughout where I thought I've never seen a depiction of of an inner quality this way through art. Um, I think I think it's fair to say Lee and Lowe made the right decision <laughs> hey, <laughs> not to make light. But yes, I see I see that spread with the scales. Yeah. Um, mm, yeah, I feel like there's you. You talked earlier about the stream of consciousness, but I think the way it reads to my eyes is a certain amount of freeness, one that I think is is that quality we talk about that sort of goes away as you become an adult. Mm -hmm. We, we put uh, restrictions on ourselves saying art can't look this way or words can't flow mm -hmm. this way or life can't be depicted this way. And so to be able to loosen yourself enough to draw out of scale, to tap into abstract qualities, to, to um, communicate through imagery mm -hmm. in this way um, gives readers a chance to to find their own meaning and understanding and in that way the way they connect to your art it makes a lasting connection with those moments in this case in in Maya's life and that that is something that will that will leave with the reader as the reader walks from this story that's a really powerful gift that you've given Thank those you. readers I really hope so I, I really hope so I I want to I wanted to bring in some uh, fine art process to the illustration too. I, I have noticed that often in children's books, there's a lot of, uh, um, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, what is it called when, it, 
for some reason, my brain just stopped working. Stylism. There's a lot of stylized imagery um, mm. with a, l- a little bit less depth sometimes. I, I, I really like, I appreciate depth and try to bring it into everything I do. And I, in the layering process, you know, even in the skin colors and the skin textures and in the grass and in just about every surface, I, I feel like everything needs to pulse and have its own energy. And I like to bring out that. Oh, I like that. Especially skin. (laughs) There's a texture. Yeah. Especially skin. Skin tones are, I don't want Mm. them to just be one dimensional because if you really look at skin, it's, there's many colors underneath the surface. There's purples and especially in black skin. I feel like you, in all skin, I feel like it's like the layers of an onion. You, you, you gotta, you can play with them and bring them out. It doesn't have to be like a photograph, you know. Uh, Ooh, to hear you say it and then to examine your art, even from the cover, this gorgeous cover that has all of those different um, tones of orange and greens that are on her shirt on her skin, on the book, on the lettering in the background, it, 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 it creates movement. It creates energy. It brings everything yeah. together and, and creates sort of a time and a place. I love this painterly sensibility that you've got. I love how painted things feel. It reminds me of the work of, from my brain, it reminds me of the work of, uh, of um, Brian Pinkney. <gasps> to me, that his art has felt that way. That it feels like I can feel the yes. brush. Do you know what I mean? As a as a person who does not paint, I sort of I realize use rudimentary ways to describe your process. I don't mean to, in any way, diminish what you're making, but 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 rather instead say that I'm admiring it and I admire the way that it feels like, like I can see you, you haven't erased yourself from the art too. And that means something to me because it tells me that the subject matter means something to you. Very much so. I, oh, I can't even tell you this was like the most important experience thus far in my illustration career. Uh, or my career, like I felt even in, even the process of doing the research and learning more, even more than I ever knew about Maya and her life um, made me feel even closer to the project and closer to her. Uh, You know, I felt like I was telling the story of one of my ancestors almost at some point. It's just, I, Mm. I delving into her story, having the opportunity to, reread her books, you know, that were the background of this, of these stories, you know, um, I felt very close to her experience. I felt like our lives in a, in a way somewhat mirrored each other, you know, as far as how her childhood was divided between these family members because of divorce or, or separation. I experienced that, you know, and, uh, this sort of underlayering, uh, underlayering of uh, of uh, generational trauma, you know, and and uh, uh, that she spoke about in her book, and that 
arises a bit when she talks about moving from home to home in her childhood and going back and forth and back and forth. I experienced that between my divorced parents. You know, uh, I found a lot of similarities in our mm. stories. You know, uh, even experiencing abuse uh, on different levels in my childhood. I mean, it, it was like holding a mirror to myself. And that's what I want. I mean, I know that I'm not the only person who may feel that way when they read this story, when they read her story. And I want, you know, children, teenagers, adults, anyone who picks up this book, if they've experienced any of those connections with her story to, you know, feel as though they're not alone, you know, some some really amazing individuals have experienced trauma as well and found found a way to overcome those experiences and make it make them stronger you know uh you know that part that aspect is really important to me it's transcendent it's transcendent of your work Mm -hmm. it's so much bigger i'm grateful that this project came to you because it sounds like I was feel that way. For you. It, 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 we found each other. It's <laughs> beautiful. You found each other. I'm grateful that that happened. That you were born when you were born, and and that you cut your teeth on illustration and and paint and fine art and just all of the things that led you here. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I can ask, um, what what it looked like to study. Maya Angelou for your compositions. You've got such a beautiful way of painting portraits and I understand where that comes from in regard to the, mm-hmm. the fine art background. But at the same time, I've never really had the opportunity to ask someone when painting a, a picture book biography, what it looks like to study source material in photos. Did you find particular photos that you wanted to draw influence from in painting or, or what did, I'm not even going to talk anymore. What did that well, look like There were some for you? moments <laughs> where I, I would find myself banging my head up against the wall. <laughs> Those moments would occur when trying to depict her <laughs> between the ages of eight until she was, you know, a grown woman. Maya has one existing photograph of herself that she was able to submit in, in, in of her in t- throughout her entire life. Only one photograph was taken of her um, as a child. And she was eight and she was, you know, she didn't look very happy. She, you know, I had to go, I had to use that one photograph to depict her throughout her different stages of her life, which was quite difficult for me because I, um, you know, you have to try and depend on your Im- imagination to picture, you know, depict her at a certain angle, at a different age, uh, you know, throughout these different stages. What might she look like when she's 12, you know, and uh, when she's going through, you know, uh, the, the experience of not speaking and what might she look like at this other angle and how might she look when she's frowning or even smiling. There were no photos of her even smiling, Uh for her entire first half of her life. <laughs> so uh, 
Yeah, that photo is contained in the back matter, or right. many photos are contained in the back of matter, her. I should say. But that, yeah. that photo of age seven or eight yeah. of her that you're referring to, we get that image too. And uh, I can I can imagine what it is like to to want yeah, to you honor want to make sure. this individual through mm-hmm. the depiction. You want to of make sure childhood. that you can, yeah. you know, sh- show her as much as close to her likeness as possible, even though there are no images of her at 12. I yes. think that then, you know, there's eight. And then next time we see her in a photograph, she's like 15 and she's just had her son guy, um, you know, and then everything after that is, you know, heavily photographed. And that was, whew, I was like, Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> when I got to that stage, it was much easier. The second half of the book. Um, because I was able to use references and images of her on stage or, you know, in her spaces. So are there things that you discovered through your research about Maya Angelou that maybe you didn't know before, but that you think you will carry forward into your life and even into those spaces where you're getting to meet children uh, and in, in tell them about your process of the book. What wisdom did Maya give you as you were making this book? If I can. Well, I, what I took away from the book was that, you know, um, you know, she, you know, it was very important for she good and bad. She took something from every experience around her, you know, uh, and she, despite the fact that she might've had some really difficult times, she had this innate sense of knowing who she was, even from a young age and holding strong to her sensibility of self or her idea of self. And, um, you know, that seemed to be unshakable even through the most difficult times. And, um, I don't know. I think that she just, uh, found beauty and even the darkest moments, even when that wasn't occurring at the time later, when she would write about it, um, she would find a lesson in it. And, and I think that the most important thing to her toward the end of her life that I took away was that, you know, was the idea of unity among all people you know, unifying people, you know, I think that she achieved her goal, like to, to be a sort of a bridge between, uh, you know, the people, not white people, not black people, Mm. all persons. And I, and I think that the message that I most connected with uh, was to not have to have no fear, you know, uh, when I look at my childhood and I look at her and what I've experienced and I look at her childhood and I read her words, what I take from it is that um, despite everything, you know, you, dr- you keep driving forward and you keep a dream in your heart and you keep kindness alive and you treat people like you would want to be treated. And you find joy in every possible moment that you can. And you try to, to spread that to the people around you. I mean, to me, that was her message, even up until the end of her life. 
One of the closing illustrations you give of Maya Angelou is this, this beautiful portrait where behind it says, Still I Rise. And you have her wearing this, this outfit of, of her past, of the women before her, and of the woman she was. You're, you're so beautifully tying it in with what you were just saying, that she always, how you said it, that yeah. she always carried her childhood with her. In that way, and I, um, I'd love if you Please don't mind can. for me to read just one more time some of Bethany's words because of the way it it does so beautifully um, pair with your art. It reads, delving deep into her past, Maya begins a memoir, circling the scars of the caged bird. She raises her pen and lets her words, her words, make music. The sentences dive and dance. Her life story surges and soars. Books fly from her fingertips. Poetry, memoirs, bestsellers, all. Maya with a tilt to her head, a sway in her hips, sometimes with her own ruby red lips, offers up her words to the women who came before. The sturdiness of Mama Henderson, the beauty of Mother Vivian to all the women and men whose bodies and souls endured slavery mm-hmm. and abuse. Tanya, you have made such beauty through this picture book, through these words that Bethany has also uh, crafted. I'm so grateful that your touch and your influence and really that your life is on these pages as well. Thank you so Thank much you, for Matthew. sharing all of that I, with us. I tonight. truly enjoyed it. I enjoyed speaking with you and I loved illustrating this book. It was it brought me so much joy and mm. I hope that, you know, it can it can influence and bring joy to others. Yeah. Well <laughs> as we think of those others, those those little ones um who will be studying your art and who will be taking in this story and considering this great author's life. Um, I want to turn to you and ask that Tanya, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them Um, from you? Whatever your gift, whatever you, your dream, have no fear. And I mean, that's my, that's my main message. Have no fear. Do what your heart drives you to do and don't listen to what any naysayers. Just keep driving forward and do what makes you happy. This is Darshna Kiani, author of How to Wear a Sari, coming in fall 2020. Want to find out the latest South Asian books and children's literature? Check out www.darshanakhiani.com forward slash South Asian Kid Lit. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com forward slash podcast. Our theme music is by Pottington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. 
All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of our patrons. Those folks who are supporting the podcast and helping keep the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Tracy, Hallie, Chris, Amy, Summer, Sarah, Kate, Darshna, Patricia, Amanda, Theo, Jarrett, Justin, Anitra, Selaja, Ailey, Suzanne, Mike, Steve, Mia, Karina, Adrian, Irene, Kate, Ed, Jenny Sue, Cynthia, Sylvie, Doug, Amanda, Judy, Ruth, Elaine, Teresa, Alicia, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to join us. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.